everybody, and welcome to Time and Attention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the co-host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 94, The Science of Savoring. Exciting couple of weeks we've had up here. It's been uh, it's been an adventure, you could say. Yeah, I mean, okay. So for those of you who don't maybe follow along with the podcast or haven't been paying attention, um, Chris's latest book, How to Calm Your Mind, has been out in stores now yes. for what, two weeks, I guess, when this comes out? I think so. Yeah, two or three. And the exciting thing is it's now been on a whole bunch of bestsellers lists up here in the Great White North in yeah. Canada. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're a, officially, it's a best-selling book in this beautiful country we call Canada. So, and I mean, it's just been the reception you've been getting. It's been awesome. And as your very, very proud wife, it's been really cool to see. And so anyway, for those of you interested in the book, it's awesome. Other people seem to think so too. And I, I very much do agree. So. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it's so cool to see it in stores. And uh, the, this book, I, I rewrote it halfway through the whole process of publishing it. And I'm so happy I did because just lo- looking at looking at the finished product and flipping through it and even rereading a lot of it, uh, which is weird, but I, I feel in a weird way this book will uh, become one that I myself revisit every you know six to eight months or so, uh, just because I, I need to remind myself of the ideas within the pages, uh, as I think we all do. Yeah, for sure, it's a it's a good one. I definitely savored. My reading process, and I read it a whole bunch of times at yeah. this point because I read every version, and now I've read the finished product. You've so. had to suffer through a lot of uh, different versions of this book. No suffering, okay. all savoring. Okay. Yeah. Savoring. What would be the opposite of savoring? What would is that suffering or is it is it something else? Uh, dampening, actually. Oh, yeah. all right. So before we get into that, what is savoring? Yeah. So savoring. So uh, over the course of writing this book, I had the chance to pour over a lot of different subjects, uh, research on a lot of different subjects that influence calm as well as how satisfied we are with our lives overall. Uh, Everything from values to intention uh, to the science of savoring. And so savoring was one of the most interesting fields of research I had the chance to encounter. And essentially, it's the scientific name for the process of converting a positive experience into a positive emotion or, or a set of positive emotions. And so the interesting thing is just because we experience something positive in our life, uh, just because we eat a delicious meal, just because we're with somebody we love, uh, just because we uh, adopted a kitten, you know, whatever it might be, doesn't mean we'll enjoy those experiences. We actually need to go through this process of savoring uh, in order to enjoy them more fully. And a lot of this we do automatically. But the research also shows that this is a skill that we can get better at over time. And actually, the better we are at savoring everyday experiences as we develop this skill in our lives, the more presence we can find with everyday things. The research shows we could just focus more effortlessly on things because it's oddly hard to bring our full attention to a positive experience in the same way that it's difficult to be mindful Uh, But savoring is different from the process of mindfulness because we allow one positive, we we do positive rumination. We constantly reflect on a positive experience that we're having in the present moment instead of approaching our thoughts with a non-judgmental awareness like we do with mindfulness. But we essentially allow one positive 
experience to consume our full presence in, in the moment as we engage with it. And the better we become at savoring everyday experiences, the better we become at enjoying our lives and also being able to focus. And so uh, in an interesting way, this process of savoring actually leads us to become more productive in a roundabout sort of way. So you talked about it making us happier, more aware, more in the moment. What does that have to do with calm? And I know we're not yeah. talking about the book, but I'm just kind of curious because you mentioned this as like something you researched for mm-hmm. the book. Yeah, it's interesting because the more we savor an experience in the here and now, we actually activate a network in our brain that is referred to colloquially as the here and now network. And the interesting thing is the here and now network is anti-correlated. It's reverse correlated with networks that support us when our brain is either stimulated, and so we are susceptible for distraction, we're tending to a lot of uh, different things that lead us to anxiety, uh, or we are in an acquisition mentality where we're striving for more. And th- this is this was a, a, an interesting thing, and I, I kind of reckon with this in the book itself, this balance that we all need to strike between striving for more and savoring the fruits of our striving. And because of the self-reinforcing addictive nature of striving, because it's it's a process that's usually built around dopamine, which is a neurochemical that propels us into the pursuit of more without really enjoying that pursuit. Um, you know, this this savoring everyday experiences becomes this process that activates this network that leads us to the here and now. It leads us to more calm. It leads us away from stimulation. And it lets us set aside this acquisition mentality. So it's a very simple idea, but there's this complex um, series of, of responses that happen in our brain in response to a situation where we savor something. This is so cool. I find this whole idea of, I think these kind of like intersection moments no matter what like subject or domain we're talking about, like this is something in computer science I always thought fascinating. Like when does hardware turn into like commands for software? I just, I find this like intersection really cool and savoring feels kind of the same where it's like turning experiences into yeah. emotions. And there's something so neat about how that's so different for different people too. I, yeah. I think the fact that two people could have the exact same experience and one person could totally savor it and find it to be really positive and really rewarding where somebody else would have the exact same experience and leave totally humbugging, <laughs> for oh, lack of a better oh, word. How, how old did you just get? That, that's, the fa- that's what I find fascinating too, is just because we experience something positive doesn't mean that we'll derive any satisfaction from it whatsoever. You know, think of the delicious meals you distractedly scarf down in front of the TV watching Veep. Just because you experience something positive doesn't mean you'll enjoy it. And that's entirely the point of this exercise is, you know, well, I guess there's, it's a multifaceted point because so many different ideas intersect at this one idea of savoring in terms of setting aside acquisition mentality, in terms of making our mind less stimulated, but also just learning to enjoy uh, experiences and relating to the experiences that we do have completely differently. Uh, You know, I have this theory. And I don't write about this in the book, but it's just kind of a a theory that I have that what happens in our life matters just as much as how we relate to what happens. And how we relate to what happens in our life might matter even more than the circumstances of our life itself. 
And savoring kind of is at play there in, in this whole weird philosophy that I have. Yeah. And in the book, you kind of talk about how there are some broad general differences that you can observe and how different groups of people react. And obviously these are a, there's a distribution. Yeah. It's not cut and dry, but you were looking at this before the episode. You're digging deep into the research on this too. Yeah, I mean, so I always do a little research before our episodes, and I mean, I think because I'm an academic, the way people use Google, I use like Google Scholar. Yeah. So when other people just like Google stuff, I find myself doing that less and less because it's just so much easier for me to like go to the actual academic literature. And there's so much garbage on on the Google results too. And and people just misinterpreting these research articles left and right. Yeah. So for me as an academic, somebody who's like trained to read research studies, I would rather just go to the research studies. And so when I was doing that for this, one of the big things, I know you mentioned a little bit in the book that women tend to find it easier to savor than men. Mm -hmm. Obviously, again, this is a distribution. This is not a cut and dry rule. Not all women are better at this. And there's a spectrum here, obviously. But that said, I think one of the things that came out of some of the academic literature is that there's also this relationship between like emotional intelligence and savoring where people who are more emotionally intelligent do find it easier to savor or because they also find it much easier to kind of prolong these like positive emotions associated with experiences. And so there's also a very well documented relationship between gender and emotional intelligence where women tend to have higher levels of emotional intelligence. Except for us, of course. <laughs> Except for our relationship dynamic. I mean, right? it, that's very possible. It's it, This is a no, generalization. <laughs> There's a distribution here. It's not hard and fast. Um, but all that to say, like, there are these differences, especially along like these emotional intelligence lines. And that's uh, correlated with things like gender and age. Uh, Age is a really big mediator Mm. or moderator for this relationship between emotional intelligence and and gender as well. So it's not cut and dry, but there are some big differences in how, how people are able to just like baseline savor. The nice thing is all of these things are things you can also control and develop and get better at over time. Yeah. And uh, another variable that, that affects how well we can savor is actually wealthier people have a far more difficult time savoring their lives than people who aren't considered wealthy, which I find fascinating. They're and, just keeping up with the Joneses? Yeah. Can't and, enjoy the thing they have? Well, e- even in studies where people are exposed to images of money or hmm. banks or currency, they end up enjoying an experience less in the study. Oh, poor economists who are just talking about money all day long. And are rich and completely wealthy, (laughs) these old white male economists. None of those things are true. Economists also don't just talk about money. But anyway, back to wealthy people. Yeah, and one theory for this that's out there is scarcity. You know, speaking of economics, scarcity creates value or wait, no, that's not right, is it? Yeah. Yeah, scarcity makes something valuable. And that's true in economics and that's true for psychology as well. And there have been studies where uh, two groups of people are given the same number of chocolates, but one group is told that they won't get any more after the first or second. And the group that's told they won't get any more actually has a greater overall level of enjoyment of the chocolate, even though both groups get the exact same amount. And so even a false scarcity... Uh, is is super helpful. Um, a budget. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I love keeping a budget. 
Um, and I, I know you do too, because you're you're a huge numbers nerd too. We we love our Google uh, sheet for our budget, and every month we set a limit for ourselves. So we have a, a joint spending limit, and we also have individual limits. And this scarcity, because we like to save a high proportion of our, our of our income every month, so we create these constraints on the budget side. And it really does lead us to uh, savor meals out more. It leads us to savor takeout lattes more because instead of getting one every single day, we uh, it's a treat to kind of walk across uh, walk across town and get a nice macadamia nut milk latte from from the place that we like in downtown Ottawa. It could be something as simple as introducing scarcity for that chocolate example. So if you buy a chocolate bar and you have bad impulse control as as I do. Um, so something I've done in the past is give the food to Arden here and ask for kind of smaller portions over time so I could <laughs> introduce this scarcity because I enjoy a bag of chips a lot more if I eat it in a few sittings as opposed to one. So um, wealthy people find it more difficult to savor than people who are not considered wealthy. But this scarcity, regardless of how wealthy we are, is something we can all take advantage of in our everyday life to introduce more savoring by default, but there's also the savoring we can do deliberately. Mm-hmm. And you you actually do for audience members out there. He actually does make me hide the chips. So um, funny little thing he does. But yeah, I mean, you do put this into practice where you definitely try to create this scarcity, even when there might not be scarcity around like food, for example. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that's such a really good example of like how you can cultivate kind of more savoring in your life, even if maybe by definition, you wouldn't fall into the categories where it's easier for you. Yeah. And Dr. Fred Bryant is considered the pioneer of this field of savoring. And I had the opportunity to chat with him and email with him throughout the course of writing this book. And, you know, don't get me wrong, savoring is just, I think it's five or six pages of the book, but it's an idea that, that I got quite taken with. And in chatting with Fred, you know, he uh, made me aware of just how many different kinds of savoring there are. And there are a few, if you're looking for a more deliberate savoring practice, because the research shows that savoring is actually a skill that we can get better at over time. There are these variables that determine our default level of savoring. But in addition to all of this, we can set aside time for deliberate practice for savoring. Uh, And there are a few different kinds that we can practice. Luxuriating is one that comes to mind. Uh, so we luxuriate in an experience when we bask in the glow of of something. And so we're sipping a, a delicious coffee and we just enjoy every uh, sip of it. Uh, Thanksgiving is another one. It's practicing gratitude. It's something we talk a lot about on the podcast. And not just on the holiday, if you're in North America. This is more general Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and so gratitude, you know, when we fall asleep a lot, uh, we we recall three things that we're grateful for right before we fall asleep, and it's a it's a simple ritual, but it's one that we love because th- this act of gratitude actually trains our brain into looking out for uh, patterns of uh, positive things and also opportunities around us. And might I remind you, uh, the people who are in a negative state, negative mental state, actually are 31% less productive than people who are in a positive or a neutral state that's free from anxiety. 
And the third one that comes to mind is marveling. So we can also marvel at an experience where we feel a sense of awe with something. You know, looking out the window in a snowstorm, that's something. That's the way I've been practicing this lately. But it could be something as simple as looking up at the stars or out onto the ocean or anything that makes you feel a sense of awe that you can just soak in uh, with your full self. Uh, Simple kinds of savoring, luxuriating, thanksgiving, marveling, but uh, they allow us to practice this skill. There's countless examples of of how we can uh, enact these every day too. Yeah. And this can be something like you get really good at. I know for me, this is something having read the book so many times and talked to you so many times <laughs> How many times, about times did this. you say you've read this thing? I think four now. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. And I've read certain sections much more than that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I guess God I've, bless you. I guess I've read this book quite a few times, mm-hmm. but I didn't get the Goodreads credit for that. What a bummer. Anyway, um, this is definitely something that like you can get a lot better at and become yeah. more more habitual about almost, which sounds more like you're routinizing it and it gets boring, but it actually doesn't. I mean, the marveling concept is something I think about a lot because every single day I take the long way to get to my office. Like I'll take, I'm, my office is in this really beautiful building on campus and I take the long way to really go through the beautiful atrium and just kind of marvel that this is where I get to work. Like every single day, I'm just kind of in awe that I get to work in this amazing university and do a job that I love in a place that I love. Like I just feel very grateful for that. And every single day I I very consciously take the long way so I can like really marvel at the fact that I get to like just get to work in this wonderful place. Thanksgiving there too. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I mean, I think this is something, I mean, we are very conscious about being very grateful for, for all the things we have. And I think that's something we've gotten, we've been doing since we've been together for like 10 years now. So I mean, this marveling thing is something I'm very conscious of and try very hard to do. And even just walking to like through our neighborhood or to get a coffee, I'm just constantly in awe of like the beautiful city we live in and, and, very much trying to find things to be kind of marveled by on yeah. our, our regular walks. Because I mean, I think it's very easy to, you can, you can take the bus and walk home or you can just like enjoy the fact that you uh, get to walk on this beautiful way home. I think there are two ways of approaching that and you can choose to marvel or you can choose to just get through it. And I, I choose to marvel. Love it. And, and one simple idea, uh, a, a way of ritualizing this each and every day is just making a list of all of the things that you love to savor. So they're all in one place. And uh, interestingly, um, you know, when you ask certain people, it, what do you savor most in life? Uh, a lot of people have a very difficult time coming up with things that they deeply, legitimately enjoy. And so sometimes the act of capturing all of these things somewhere uh, it is is a practice of savoring in and of itself of just getting these things uh, out of your head and and uh, on, onto that sheet of paper or the Word document, however you want to capture them. But once they're on the list, pick a thing every day and savor it deeply. It could be something simple like your morning cup of coffee. It could be time with your partner. It could be a board game that you love. It could be uh, time with a pet. It could be uh, a walk. It could be a- a- anything that you love in your life and just pick a thing and savor it every day. Nice. I mean, I don't do that. I think we've talked a little bit on the podcast about how you definitely have a lot more lists than I do. Yeah. So I yeah. guess I just do this more implicitly than you where I, def- I, I very consciously try to savor lots of little things. And I mean, 
economists have this idea of little luxuries, which are little things mm. that people, even when you're in a recession or a really hard financial time, people will still go out of their way to find luxuries or which is basically the econ way of saying little things to savor. Beep, boop, boop, yeah. um, so, I mean, even in my, in my daily life, I'm constantly looking for opportunities to find things to savor. I've always been a little bit like that. I'm always a bit of a yeah. glass half full, what silver linings type of person, but good energy. I mean, I definitely go out of my way to find little things to savor and big things to savor. Right. I mean, a big thing is I'm just constantly savoring the fact that I get to spend so much time with you. And now with our family in town, because we moved back to where I'm from, um, being able to spend so much time with family, that's definitely something I'm just savoring a lot more and luxuriating in, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. Oh, two other kinds of savoring. Uh, we can also savor the past and the future. Mm, how? So in addition to luxuriating, Thanksgiving and marveling, there's two other kind of forms of savoring to have in your repertoire. Uh, savoring the past, you know, if we look through old photos or uh, e even just our calendar, if, if that's something that you want to do, see how you spent your time in the past and, and reminisce mm -hmm. about those times. Reminiscence is the name for the past form of savoring. And we can also an anticipate the future. Anticipation is how we savor the future. We can count down the days to a vacation. We can journal about an experience that comes up. We can make a list, maybe. I don't know. If that's what you're into. If that's what you're into, <laughs> uh, about all the things you're looking forward to something. Um, anticipation is a fascinating practice because it actually leaves effective memory traces in our mind. That's kind of like a path that we walk down again when we enjoy the actual experience. And what this leads to is a greater activation of these memory traces in our brain, uh, which research shows actually leads us to enjoy an experience more. So the more you anticipate an event, an experience, a concert, a vacation, a trip, the more that you'll end up enjoying it and savoring it at the end. So anticipation is also an incredible way of savoring what's coming up. I love it. Yeah. That's so, a tight episode. It is. No fluff. Tight like All tiger. savoring. Yeah. Is that an Austin Powers joke? I don't know. Oh, man. Got, we got I, through 23 minutes with no fluff, and now we got Austin Powers to round it out. It is an Austin Powers joke. I'm pretty sure it's from Gold Member. Oh, yes. Yeah. Toy, like, like a tiger. A gold, gold member <laughs> yeah. is what's coming up. Okay, good. <laughs> there you go, everyone. Classic. But savoring this fascinating science... Sounds simple, sounds a bit like mindfulness, sounds a bit like flow, but it's its own independent thing where we ruminate on something positive for a change, uh, whether you want to luxuriate, give thanks, marvel, reminisce, or anticipate something. Uh, savoring is worth the practice simply because of all these uh, benefits, these psychological benefits that, and neurological benefits that are intertwined with one another that we can set aside our striving, that we can set aside um, just stimulating our mind and deeply enjoy an experience. And this becomes a skill in and of itself that when we get better at savoring these everyday experiences, we can get better at enjoying our life. And what's better than that? Beautiful. So finishing up time and attention.fm is where you can find the, all the episodes of the podcast. We hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you. Well, I guess we published the last one on Thursday. 
But this time, we mean it. We'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. Bye.